Hey everyone! As the summertime wraps up and we transition into the fall time over this Labor Day weekend, Reed and I decided we were going to take a little time off and we reached back into the annals of our podcast and we found a really great episode that we're going to replay this week. It's from June of 2020, last year, and it was with Chris Pace at Banner Health, and he shared some really great information about how his team is using digital in different ways to support the health system. Now, keep in mind, this was recorded in the height of the pandemic, but much of the things that we talked about in this episode, and subsequently what Reed and I talked about, are very applicable to today. So sit back, take a listen, and Reed and I will be back next week with our regularly scheduled program. Thanks. Have you seen this new brand packaging where there, you can buy a box that's half of it's Cheez-Its and the other half of it is box wine? Seems on par. It reminds me when we were kids, we had the peanut butter and grape jelly in the same jar. Remember that was Goober Grape, I think is what it was called. That's good. I like that. I mean, it just saves a step. So what other kind of mashups do you think we should make? I mean, since we're in the world of, of now mashed up products. I, you know, you could just pair alcohol and alcohol. Vodka on like one half and then like rubbing alcohol on the other half. For you to drink and for your hands. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm recording from my porch today out in the front of our house. Got to change it up a little bit when you're working from home, right? That's right. I am still in my office, however, in a different chair within the office. So pretty close to the front porch, but still inside. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for joining us for episode number 182. This is Touchpoint, of course. You can find out more about this show and the others on our network over at touchpoint.health. That is the website. Also on said website is where you can sign up for the TPS report, which is our weekly email of all kinds of great and fun and worthwhile aggregated news through links that we email out every Monday morning. It's a short read. I want to say there's five or six articles, plus there's uh, some quick links to any Touchpoint network shows that have come out in the prior week and a few tweets that we found relevant, as well as any links to industry conferences, which we'll talk more about later. Let's pause for just a quick minute, and then we'll be back with everything new about being a digital marketer. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. It's funny that you said right before the break, everything new about being a digital marketer. We know that the pandemic has kind of changed or transformed a lot of things in healthcare. I think it's had an impact on the role of a digital marketer as well, don't you think? Absolutely. Because for one, the digital marketer is working from home. (laughs) That's probably one of the most significant parts. And I think good on every digital marketer who's been wanting to do that for years to work from home. Actually, that may be the one thing that's not new. There there may be an awful lot of digital marketers that have always worked from home or a remote location. But no, it it has changed quite a bit. And we're going to go through a few articles here today. But again, I'm going to call 
out of staff that I've used for, I don't know, four to six weeks now. With the pandemic, it could have been the entire pandemic. I don't know. I've used it a lot, but I think it's still relevant, which is that McKinsey study about consumer adoption of digital technology, leapfrogging ahead five years in the course of eight weeks. Now, this was at the time of that study, of course. The point being, we raced ahead, which is something we said we wanted to do, but are we ready? Let's first dive into an article from Forbes magazine that's actually called CMOs Report Massive Shifts in Consumer Behavior and Marketing Strategies Post-COVID-19. This seems like a title of every article that we've talked about over the last two months. (laughs) It does. And like, I mean, I can't believe it's still March. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting because the impact that it has to marketing in general, the pandemic and how organizations are going to have to shift their marketing activities because of the pandemic is significant. And it impacts a wide variety of industries too. It's not just healthcare that we talked about. We know every industry has pretty much been disrupted by the pandemic. Part of it is because, uh, as the article says, it's the total collapse of in-person marketing engagement. Total collapse. Okay. I don't think it's a total collapse. I mean, you do have to wear your face masks when you have an in-person marketing engagement. But the article indicates that consumers are now significantly more open to digital experiences and offerings from companies. They're also more receptive to companies' efforts to promote social good. We've mentioned that before. And then also they're more deliberate in their consideration, purchasing and feedback of the brands. And that's because of, again, what we've talked about in a couple of branding related episodes a couple of weeks ago. That's right. Also in the article, they call out another survey. And I think this is really where kind of the meat of this comes in. This is a cmosurvey.org study that they reference COVID-19 in the state of marketing. And so it was produced by Deloitte, Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, uh, and the American Marketing Association. Three big names, certainly. And they shed a little bit of light on how the pandemic has impacted the marketing strategy of top brands. And so they they point out four of them. Let's jump in and, and talk about these four. The first one is that customers prioritize trusted relationships. Of these CMOs that they surveyed, they expect customers to focus more on trusting relationships with brands and companies rather than on low price, despite the economic downturn. Even more so, they have a stat here that says 79% of chief marketing officers believe customers are paying closer attention to the social activism, outreach, and investments of companies during the pandemic. That's pretty significant, and I think it aligns with some other studies we've seen as well. It does. I think it's a product of a couple of things. I'm not talking about the social activism part of it, but the outreach and investments and some of those types of things. Like we're at home with not a lot else to do. And so as we deal with folks in this new online environment that maybe we historically had not, we're just in that moment. The experience part of it, we have more of an opportunity to weigh in feedback and things like that. Because I think you're sitting there and things are happening. It's not like you went out to eat and you left and then you got to figure out, well, how do I complain to the manager? You're already in it. Like you're just in this environment that's just a little bit different. Yeah, you're paying a little bit more attention. And it aligns a lot to even the studies that Gerard has done recently about trust in healthcare and health systems. Because we've turned to health systems as being sort of the authoritative source through this pandemic on healthcare and how it's happening in your community, we're paying closer attention to them. I think that this stat really shows that marketers believe that consumers have a higher brand affinity because of the pandemic, because of everything that's going on around them. The second thing they point out in here, online and digital are essential. I could argue that before, probably. <laughs> but in any case, they talk about how that you know consumers are now more open to digital offerings and experiences. Again, you mentioned the Girard study. That, that was one of the things that we saw. People uh, that had had telehealth or telemedicine or virtual care visits, this is pretty early on. This was back in April when we did this particular study. We're about to do another one. When we did that one, the people that had had those experiences thought they were great. But when we asked the people that had not had one, would they consider it? Just about all of them said yes. So people are more open to that that opportunity. The experts believe that it'll persist even after the pandemic proceeds. I think certainly we're going to have this Gartner, which foreshadowing, we're going to talk about Gartner in a minute, but the Gartner hype cycle 
we had something that happened that drove us to that peak inflection point and then headed into the trough of disillusionment and then the insights into planning out into productivity. Well, that's really where the the opportunity is going to be. It's not going to be whether it's virtual visits or what, you know, we're not going to see them at the level that they have been just forever. It's going to come back, but it's going to be higher than it was previously because of this very thing. The study that we're talking about also quoted the fact that online sales have grown by 43% from February to May. They even say that in May, it accounted for almost 20% of all sales. Now, I think that's the highest online revenue has been tracked in the history of online revenue. It makes sense, right? Because the entire world was pretty much on lockdown during that period of time. And we were kind of forced to go online. You know, as we look forward and we think about marketing budgets that are going to be shrinking necessarily because of all of the things that are going on, digital marketing efforts they predict will command a greater share of total marketing spend moving forward. So back to your McKenzie quote, this is one way we've actually shifted marketing budgets to become more digital. Third point, social media is a critical brand building tool. As marketers prioritize building brand trust and loyalty to attract and retain customers, companies are increasingly using social platforms as an important engagement tool. So much so, this is a crazy stat when I saw it, 84% are using social media for brand building and more than 54% have used it for customer retention during the pandemic, which represents a 74 increase in social media spending since February. 74% increase, Reed. Because they know we're all sitting around on Facebook with nothing to do or Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, on Instagram for sure. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I was going to go down a whole sidetrack there, but I'm not. We're trying to you know, reach people where they are, and that's where they are. Again, much like the adoption of these technologies, I think the adoption of trying to find people on these technologies has seen the same increase. We'll see it fall back off, certainly. Kind of that whole cycle that we just talked about will continue to stay high. The last one, and I can kind of relate, I guess, but being resourceful or improvising will ultimately lead to success. And so they talk about that the economic havoc has already resulted in a 9% reduction in marketing jobs with more to follow, presumably. So there's a growing importance of agility and resilience in the face of unforeseen events. They talk about most marketers in the survey consider themselves and their organizations unprepared and expect to invest more in training to develop pivoting skills, as they call it here. That's interesting. I'm going to add that to my LinkedIn. Will somebody endorse me for pivoting? That would be (laughs) creative thinking, innovation, and then managing uncertainty with their workforce. I think this is very real. And and I think what's interesting is we've done done a fair amount of work over the years where we go in and audit someone's department or marketing organization, if you will, and recommend like how they restructure, look at this, look at that, you know, because of changing times. And I think that's going to be, you know, whether you hire somebody to do it or you just do it yourself, you're going to have to do that. And it used to be interesting for, and I've never really thought about this, but when people talk to me about what I do, and then they're like, well, what did you, where'd you go to school? What'd you major in? You know, that kind of thing. Usually it's older people that ask that because that's the thought process is education and then the job that follows. And I say, well, I, you know, what I do didn't exist. This wasn't a thing. There was no internet. Well, there was, but there certainly wasn't social media. There was barely an internet when I was in college. It's never been more apparent to think about, okay, well, what I'm studying and learning right now in the job that I do right now might not exist or what I'm really good at might exist. I think there's a real opportunity to invest in yourself, invest in skills, in the thought process around how do I make this valuable? I was really hoping that this would relate to you get to be able to take improv classes. I always wanted to (laughs) learn how to do improv. No, but I think what you're saying is exactly right, Reed. And actually, later on in the interview we have, Chris Pace, he talks a little bit about how he came from a different background than what he's doing today. And it is an undercurrent of all the things that we're doing as digital marketers. But this impact that we're talking about is not just in marketing. It's also being felt in things that are related to marketing, such as branding efforts. So before the break, let's talk a little bit about an article 
that we found. It's on smartbreed.com, which is a, a really great source for some quick, short articles. And it's called As the Pandemic Quarantines Left, which I think maybe that was before the times, right? So you might want to think about that. Brand marketing cannot maintain status quo. And they say here that marketing service providers now have to be able to play a consultative role in building internal business cases and new processes, as well as guiding the delivery of results. So we've had to do this as a department historically anyway. If you think about it, we, the marketers, I'm using air quotes here, well, I guess I have to use air quotes. We are actually marketers. We've had to play this role historically, that consultative role, building business cases, new processes. Thank you. If you think about this, it's like, what about when the internet happened and we needed websites and then social media and we needed to have a Facebook page? You've had to go through this process. This isn't really out of the norm. We just need to level set a little bit and think, okay, well, we've, we've done this before. Who are the stakeholders? Who are we trying to communicate with? What's going to resonate? And then what's the business case? What's the point of view? What am I trying to convey? The article takes another interesting turn too. It kind of outlines outsourcing versus insourcing of this talent. And it says here that in many cases with brand agencies, in many cases with brand marketing, a lot of organizations hire outside agencies to do the brand, but they say that overlooks a major problem, which is lack of integration, which is critical now because of all the moving parts. And they say that outsourced teams are only exposed to functions related to what they've been contracted for. And that can be narrow and tactical without consideration of other dimensions of an integrated brand strategy. To me, that's kind of an interesting take here. The person that's working within the organization has a better pulse of what's happening with the customers and the brand at any given point in time. As we've seen organizations continue to cut back on what they're spending with agencies or firms or consultative entities, they're looking for, it's not really cutting back, it's more consolidating. They're asking organizations to do new things, try new things. We're becoming more a part of people's team, I think, to kind of counteract this very point, which is, if you just hire us to do this one thing, that's fine, we can do the one thing. But the organizations we work with where we're involved in multiple facets you know, certainly you, you got more of a robust and thoughtful piece all the way around because you're being exposed to different things. It's important to think through what, what the tolerance is of the organization, budget, culture, all that kind of stuff, and determine the partners that you have. Are they the right fit? How can you leverage them? But ultimately, and this is the same thing with content creation, right? Or managing, doing community management, for example. It's much better, especially from a content standpoint, to have people closest to the action creating the content. Not the agency, not the marketing folks at the corporate office, and then the people at the actual hospital are better than the people at the corporate office, and then the people that are clinical at the location are better than the marketing people at the location, right? So, I mean, you kind of have this, like, stair-stepped down approach. It's a very similar thought. This might be a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you have fewer marketing dollars to spend on agencies, you, you want to really focus your agencies to be more integrated, more partners with you throughout all of this. Again, the, the pandemic is having a dramatic shift on us in that it's forcing us to focus on strategy, be more efficient with our resources and do digital, all of which I think are all big wins, what we do. After the break, let's dive into some research that Gartner, you alluded to them, has done about how to accelerate your digital marketing efforts in this day and age. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's jump into this uh, largely hyped Gartner article I did there, the hype <laughs> cycle, and then the, anyway, this Gartner article, it's actually titled, Gartner says, marketers should accelerate digital marketing initiatives amid COVID-19 pandemic. I agree. 
but they talk a lot about that now's the time. It's the time to reevaluate what you're doing. It's the time to, you know, and that could be people and personnel. It could be partners and vendors and agencies and all that kind of stuff. It could be the strategy piece. It could be all of the above. But to re, kind of rethink and reevaluate what is it that we're doing. You know, they mentioned in here, quote, you know, that the consumers are no longer clicking through to sites from traditional ad formats. So marketing leaders must now adjust the messaging of ads and creative to enhance, you know, the advertising effectiveness. It does make sense, and I, and I too think, like even in in uh, in healthcare and in, in hospitals, the customer journey is now completely different. It was pretty linear at one point. Now you introduce this all this virtual stuff, and so we're going to rethink the persona and, and the actual journey itself. Well, I would actually argue that it's not just now that you should be doing this. You should have been doing this all along. <laughs> sure. It's good that you're doing it now, right? Focusing on adjusting your ad creatives to enhance the effectiveness of it. They go into this article for recommendations that Gartner actually has around increasing your advertising. So even though the title says digital marketing, it's really about digital advertising. And when they say, when you reevaluate your digital marketing mixes, here are some of the things they say. The first is to maximize organic search discovery. Looking at performance of keywords that are driving in search traffic, pulling back from paid search where organic search is already the dominant driver of site traffic. Those things make a lot of sense. Again, I think these are things you should have been doing anyway to begin with, but particularly in this day and age where there is a little bit of ad distrust in the online traffic and with hospitals and health systems, I've seen this. So some of the ones that I've talked to recently, they've, they've said to me that their organic traffic is just going gangbusters, but their paid search traffic is they're spending a lot of time adjusting that. Have you heard anything similar to that? Certainly from a paid standpoint. So kind of the same thing, but maybe saying it a different way. They're really honing in campaign-wise to things they have not historically paid for, like new opportunities for virtual care, telehealth, or, or what have you. And probably pulling back on more of the branded terms and some of those types of things. The second point here is adjust uh, ad messaging and spending. So again, going back and looking, and, and <clears throat> again, should have been doing this all along. Now, I know a lot of people had to shut down things because of uncertainties and like, hey, whoa, let's pull back, you know, which is not a terrible idea, right? Like, let's be conservative. Let's make sure we don't have to lay off people because we're spending a whole bunch of money in advertising. If they're still running or if you're now turning them back on, it's a good opportunity to obviously revisit and look at the messaging of those advertising pieces, the creative the, the actual copy itself should be doing A-B testing anyway, but if you're not, you know, this is an opportunity to test some of those things, both from copy content as well as formats and channels and some of those types of things. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that your priorities are what they were in January or February. It may be a little bit different and it may not make sense to turn some of them back on. It may be a whole different service line altogether. They also mentioned here that you should try different ad formats across different channels as well to really pinpoint where it makes sense to invest those additional dollars if you have them or invest the dollars that you do have, which kind of speaks to the fact that the consumer journey has changed, right? So now when patients are looking for telehealth or telemedicine, there's no wonder that Google My Business has now opened up the ability for you to promote that on their listings because... That's a place where they might start their journey is on your Google My Business listing. And now to have a link to say, I'm going to go to telehealth, that makes a lot of sense. And so you want to spend time really understanding and mapping that out. And that's sometimes difficult to do. The third point they have here, which is interesting to me, is they, and we may have alluded to this as well before, is capitalizing on digital video. Maximize the ROI of your video ad placements by developing creatives with differentiated messaging. A video tells a different type of story than other kind of advertising does. In this day and age, we have more time. We have the bandwidth as consumers to, con to watch the videos. We want to see before we actually go experience it in real life. Digital video makes a lot of sense for healthcare organizations to embrace. You know, we talk about the you know social ad spending that's up and the increased time online and those types of things. I mean, I, it's it's not any real stretch to realize why people are on Instagram and TikTok and you know these you know very visual based platforms. And so I think this this obviously speaks uh, very much to that. 
The fourth and final point that they point out here is to leverage partner sites. This is interesting, right? Because we've gone from search to spend to video to now partner sites. Driving up that value of your own ecosystem, I guess, by getting those referrals. I don't know that we do this real well, uh, at least not in the hospital world. I don't know, but people spend a lot of time thinking about you know, what partner sites exist in their local market. Related to this, I see a lot of communication efforts going around trying to get earned media placements. And I think about traditional media as a really partner's site or a partner network that we're not really leveraging. Many people don't start their, their journey to care on your own owned properties. So understanding where, you know, it could be a health insurance website, it could be a local community hub, it could be a Facebook or a social media group that can do this. I think social networks kind of fill into this partner site category, so to speak. I think it makes a lot of sense for us as digital marketers, and in this particular case, digital advertisers, to think about like how do partner sites fit in the overall mix? It sounds like a lot that we need to do, Reed. Well, and it's a lot that we just should already be doing. Yeah, it, it's true. There's nothing about this that's pandemic specific. It's a good trigger to do these if you haven't done them in a while. And, and maybe you've done some of it, right? Like maybe you've looked at the campaigns because you're turning those back on. You know, but what about the organic search piece? Or what about the, you know, uh, really inventorying and looking at what partner sites and partner organizations that you could potentially work with? And so anyway, it's, it's just a good trigger to consider if you haven't. And then set it up on a, on a cadence where you're, uh, you or a vendor or somebody is, is uh, revisiting these on a pretty regular basis. How are we going to do this when we're being forced to do more with effectively less? Well, I'm glad you asked, Chris. <laughs> Uh, because we've got an article here that you found uh, from ANA.net, post-pandemic, how digital marketers can do more with less. I have a feeling this may answer your question. <laughs> we can pull out just a couple of points here. I think this is something that you know historically we, we've all struggled with, regardless of the size of the organization. I, th- I know it's easy to point to some of the big brand names in the hospital world and go look how many people they have in X department. What I always say is like, yeah, I know, but anybody across the organization can say that about any department, right? Like look how many they have in the quality department or look how many in the IT thing, you know, or the, uh, you know, the, the nurse advocacy piece or, you know, the onboarding and retention. And, you know, so, I mean, you can make that point against any of the larger organizations. This is something that, that people struggle with and is always going to be something that is, is top of mind. Knowing that everybody's unique and every journey is unique, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. So one of the things that they say here is that you need to focus on the overall experience, particularly as consumers are becoming more savvy. They even mention a type of technology that you can use that will allow you to deliver a tailored message based on the time, location, and interests of the consumer in that particular market or on that particular journey. Wow. We're going to introduce a new three-letter acronym, Read DCO, or better known as Dynamic Creative Optimization. Add that to our list of three-letter acronyms, right? I'm going to start making stuff up. I'm just going to put three random words together, and that's going to be the next thing. This talks to the you know, generation of all, talking about all types of ad formats and multi-channel expressions. And so in a simplest sense, doing something in an automated fashion, potentially or hopefully the reason it's happening is for efficiency's sake, right? And so how do you do more with less? You know, you create and function in a way that you're not having to create one-off pieces of content every time you need it. Well, having a sort of an infrastructure on your digital on your digital system where you can actually do this, where you could take ads that are appropriate for any digital channel and you can kind of craft them so you don't have to keep shifting them. And then you could dynamically insert some personalization depending on the channel you're at or whatever kind of socio-demographic kind of information that comes along. That makes a lot of sense, I think, for organizations to do that. And a lot of the, the, the existing advertising platforms that are more sophisticated, they are starting to introduce DCO into what they're doing. So all of these things contribute to the, the new role of the digital marketer. This is the time in our podcast where we're going to turn to the interview from one of our experts, which is Chris Pace from Banner Health. 
He and I had a chance to sit down just recently, and we talked a little bit about his digital marketing team and what he's done at Banner Health prior to the pandemic that he's been able to optimize and leverage throughout the last couple of months and what he anticipates will be for the intermediate future. So let's do that after this next break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast, and I am so excited to have a fellow Chris on the other side of the microphone here today. It's Chris Pace. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be on the show, and I'm also a fan of yours, so the feeling's mutual. We Chris's have to band together, I think. Some people may not know about you, Chris. Can you tell them a little bit about your background and where you are at now and what you're doing? I'm a native New Englander, bounced around all over the eastern half of the U.S., landed in Arizona to go to college. And I started my career hoping I'd go into dot-com world in 1999, and that didn't pan out. So I reluctantly landed in healthcare strategic planning at a small boutique agency in South Carolina. I worked as a business analyst for 10 years doing Everything from facility planning to strategic plans, market analysis, focused on metrics and the business side of, of healthcare and growth. I jumped over to work in the provider side. I worked at Dignity Health uh, doing that similar work from like 2011 to 14. And then out of nowhere, Frank Austin, who a lot of your listeners may know who that is. Um, he's been around the block in the healthcare marketing space as well. He joined Dignity Health and I uh, learned about some of the pet projects I was working on with marketing and you know figuring out targeting and uh, social media, which was relatively new in the early 2010s. So he said, you'd be perfect to lead my digital marketing team. And I said, uh, that's interesting. I'm not a marketing person. Talking to the chief strategy officer, it made sense because we talked about it being more like Moneyball. And I love that movie. And I love the concept of, you know, investing in the at bat rather than in the home run. And that is really where it clicked. And so I joined forces with the marketing team in 2014. And then this opportunity opened up at Banner Health. Uh, so I joined Banner in 2018 as Senior Director of Digital Marketing. And really, my role is the Chief Digital Marketing Officer. And my focus is really on leveraging technology and aligning strategy to deliver performance and leveraging the tools and tech that we have and, and really optimizing the team to align with skill sets. Your background, it's really interesting that you started with, uh, you know, on strategy, because a lot of times in healthcare organizations and hospitals and health systems, the people that that are in the marketing roles don't interact very closely with strategy, which I always found to be odd. Your organization is structured a little bit differently than other marketing teams. Tell us a little bit about how Banner is kind of approaching branding, marketing, communications. How, how does it all fit together in your organization? One of the smartest things a health system can do is learn from outside of healthcare on how to operationalize marketing and make it a strategic function and a growth function versus just this shop that is a bunch of order takers and you know communications people, not to demean those roles. I mean, they're very, very important, but the tendency of healthcare is I want a billboard with my picture on it because that's what's going to bring in consumers and there's never any science behind it or tracking. In strategy, everything is goal-focused. You look at what problem do I need to solve and then kind of work backward. If I know I need to grow this segment of the business by X amount, my MBA math nerd brain just goes into work and builds an algorithm that goes backwards from there to figure out, okay, I can 
deliver that based on impressions here, which turn to clicks here, which turn to actions, which then result in the business. The way Banner is structured is really designed around strategy at the top. That's our North Star. That's how we know where to go and where to grow. And then we have communication channels, either on the B2B or B2C side, and a robust call center operation that is the fulfillment center of all of the marketing efforts that we do. And then we have a technology that helps us scale it so that we can be very efficient with a very lean team for a system of our size. It's a little atypical in that strategy is leading the way, which maybe is uh, portends to uh, some of the challenges that we have in our space. Yeah, and that's one of the questions I get a lot in conferences and, and when I run into folks from other systems is they see the work we do and they just assume that we have this massive team. I mean, my team is 10 people, including myself, on the digital marketing side. And then we have other units under brand experience. But I mean, in aggregate, we're probably a team of less than 50 uh, for a 28 hospital health system, it's impressive to see what we can accomplish uh, by working smarter and not harder. And I think that's really why strategy is so important, because you know where to aim. You approached this position a little bit differently. Is, is that fair to say? I didn't have a predecessor. So I had the luxury of building the team that accomplished what was in front of me. I want to look at everybody's skill sets. Someone that's great at website strategy shouldn't necessarily be doing social media because that's a different skill set. You know, I have a social team that is very good at curating content and identifying where pulse and sentiment are and aligning it to our brand and voice, they should be focused on that and not selling urgent care services. And then meanwhile, I have performance marketing, which is two strategists effectively, plus a specialist that is really great at execution. Their goal is really, it's almost like an internal consultancy. We work with the strategy folks that dictate the direction of the different service lines. And then we in turn build a strategic omni-channel approach to cascading that message and delivering the results they're looking for. And then we have agency partners that are baked into all of our processes, partnerships with our advertising team to make sure that what we need to deliver is conveyed in a voice that's consistent with brand and then fulfilled across our, our call center operations and leveraging the power of earned media, which particularly now with COVID is, I mean, that is the platform that gives us a voice and tone that can supersede anything else that we're doing in the paid space. It's just really like a, an air traffic controller position that understands all the moving parts and makes them work together seamlessly. One of the things that changed our roles moving forward as digital professionals in this space, this approach that you took around building up your digital ecosystem actually gave you some advantage when the pandemic happened. Share a little bit about sort of the strategies that were in place prior to the pandemic that led you to kind of weather the storm, so to speak, of the last couple of months. A couple of years ago, we started down a journey of building out a full stack digital front door. And that term gets thrown around a lot, but Really, what it was is a, a strategy first. And healthcare systems, for lack of resources or understanding or the shiny object syndrome that vendors bring in, they tend to lean on a vendor to, to solve a problem. And what we did was instead, because we're a strategic team by design, is build a strategy that connects all of the channels, whether it's call-in, click-in, or walk-in, just like the airlines have done basically deliver self-service solutions for consumers as a cost savings measure. And, and it allows us to scale in ways that people on their own cannot. We focused on marketing, so our messaging platforms, web and email and, and CRM and so forth. We focused on the consolidation of call center operations and making sure that we were on one platform that we had a CRM that agents could use and do real-time scripting changes so that when a doctor's office changes protocols or what have you, that we could put those in front of agents in real time and not have to train every day. We could just 
trained the process and not so much the words that they were using. And then the other side of it is building an infrastructure that's sustainable and has benefits realization baked into it so that we could show the board and show finance that, hey, what we said we were going to deliver, A, we executed in the time frame you asked, and then B, that we delivered what we said it would deliver, whether it was a cost savings or a financial growth or some other hybrid of that. It's a really efficient operation that allowed us to deliver growth campaigns. And, you know, we were in full steam 2019, 2020 was really like the last year of the project as far as like how it was funded and structured. And then COVID comes upon us in March. And what we didn't recognize is that all of these tools that we built allowed us to pivot and scale in a way that we never anticipated because we didn't obviously plan this to be pandemic proof because no one knew this was going to happen. But ultimately, it gave us the ability to cascade messaging in a way that gives us competitive advantage because I don't see any systems in the markets we serve that have these capabilities and allow us with the footprint that we have to be able to scale information like we have been able to do, you know, with 150 or so visitor restriction changes and maintaining consistency across, you know, 60,000 phone calls a day in our call center and almost two to three million visits to our website a month, um, being able to have that information readily available at scale in real time or near time. We wouldn't have been able to do this a couple of years ago. This prepared us for something we didn't know we needed to prepare for. So what are some other things that you have found to be very advantageous by having this in place? One of the benefits that I've seen come out of Digital Front Door because of the parties that have been involved in it is the fact that we collaborate in general terms on the technology means we can also collaborate on the strategy. And so you know, we have a couple different functions within the brand experience team, like uh, customer research, for example. And we've leveraged technology to scale out surveys so we can get pretty much real-time pulse and sentiment of what concerns folks. And, you know, during COVID, the amount of information and misinformation and changing information that persists in social media and even in our own government, we've had to step up to be the wise guide of what is relevant to our consumers and our community for COVID. But we also want to hear from customers, where are their pain points? What are their fears? And we effectively built our safety messaging platform by listening to what our customers' fears were. And then we're able to cascade that out or bring feedback in through what are we hearing in the call center? What are we hearing on our web feedback tool? What are the responses from the community on social media? And synthesize all that to create proactive messaging. It's one of those things that sounds easy, but you know, for a company with 50,000 employees and you know, serving metro area of 5 million in Phoenix and in northern Colorado and Tucson, where everybody's in slightly different stages of the curve, you know, NoCo, for example, uh, you know, Fort Collins, Greeley had their surge months before Arizona did. So we were able to learn from them what their pain points were and then prepare ourselves in Phoenix. A lot of health systems don't have that ability to have sort of test kitchens around their footprint to predict things. And because of our technology and our and our strategy, we're able to do that and be super nimble. What you're describing, I mean, you've effectively built a voice of customer engine, so to speak, and being able to take uh, information from one market and cascade that in and use that almost in a, in a predictive way. This is something that a lot of organizations aspire to be. It's, it sounds very complicated. And even though, you, you know, you kind of, uh, as you were describing it, you, you said it was a nice, natural kind of extension of, the, of what you've been building. At a certain point, I would assume that the organization suddenly sat back and realized, wow, we have a powerful platform. We have a powerful ecosystem now in place that we could uh, use digital as a way to effectively understand 
customers' needs and shift conversations, et cetera. How are you thinking about growing this uh, digital structure that you have? I refer to this as instead of having a foot in two canoes, it's like a foot in a canoe and a foot in a speedboat because we have on one end the ever-changing landscape of COVID and it's gotten a little bit more, not predictable, but there's a bit more of a slower velocity of change because we kind of know like the pattern that we need to flow in. But then there's also the other side of, you know, at some point we're a business and we have to start generating revenue. So how do we do that while considering safety and those concerns that we're hearing from customers? And so what this has done is really helped us identify new products that we can launch. So three months ago, Banner Health didn't have a telehealth platform. And now we have one of the largest in the United States. You know, how did we get there? Well, since we already have a strategic focus on fulfillment within our call centers and we have a robust find a doctor experience, which is our inventory management system for the products that we sell, uh, if you're translating this to out of industry. So we've already built the funnel to get folks from you know, discovery on Google, leveraging all of these SEO capabilities that we've been able to realize through our web platform and through our find a doctor platform, and then deliver appointments at scale. Well, bring um, telehealth into the mix. All that is, is just an additional operational flow. So we don't have to change how we bring people in. We just have a new offering that we can present in our shopping cart. Amazon doesn't redesign their website every time they launch, you know, clothing or some new uh, Alexa device. It's just one more thing to add to the inventory. That's been thing one. And I think the other thing that we've become closer partners with is, you know, we have this function in our strategic arm called digital business. So on the acquisition side, they've helped build our own online check-in tool for urgent care and ER. So again, more self-service options. We're driving like 200,000 appointments to urgent care through this tool now, which, you know, two years ago didn't exist. You know, now we're doing this for ER and for imaging uh, in the future and physical therapy and so on. Build once, repeat many, uh, but it gives us our own open table style experience for check-in because we know that everybody out there that goes to a restaurant or used to go to restaurants, used to, you know, use open table to find their their reservation because no one likes calling. But if you think of the impact on a call center by offering things like self-service, you're reducing the cost of handling fulfillment in a call center by significant dollars. I, I learned recently that for every minute a phone call lasts longer than average, it costs something like five FTEs a day if every call goes up a minute every day. So, you know, five FTEs a day, that's a lot of overhead that you can reduce by saying, hey, if you just go to bannerhealth.com, you can find all of these things. You can check your symptoms uh, if you think you have COVID. So you don't have to make a phone call to do it. But we have the phone call as a backup because people want human connection sometimes when they're nervous. And that's really how we want to balance digital with human touch and make sure that we're providing that level of empathy that you can't just replicate in a digital only experience. Wow. Listening to this, it's so inspiring to hear that you're doing this, Chris, and I'm very jealous. This is something that I think everyone that um, has had a role in the health system in a digital role really aspires to be. You've really kind of propelled us forward in, and forget that adage about healthcare is 20 years behind. It sounds like you're the kind of the bleeding edge now. You're, you're right at the edge of uh, trying to drive us to be something much better. I think many people listening in, though, might be a little bit daunted by, by all the work that you've done. Is there any practical or pragmatic advice that you can give to people that maybe are wanting to kind of head further down that path, but they're still kind of entrenched in sort of the traditional way that a digital team is? It is a very fortunate position that I'm in. And it was one of the most appealing things for me to join Banner because Banner is one of the only health systems I'm aware of that 
really puts consumer first and foremost. Most organizations are physician centric and they should be, but you can um, you know walk and chew gum at the same time. You can do both things. The advice I give to digital marketers that are really trying to like inspire change is stay focused on strategic goals. And if you can build your team in partnership, even if strategy isn't under the same umbrella, understanding where they're placing their bets and understanding what goals they're driving to, then you can start to align your campaigns and your messaging platforms to that same bet. If you don't know your numbers, that is going to be the biggest pitfall because you'll be called out pretty quickly. Having a foundational understanding of metrics and and not just metrics in general, but the metrics that matter most to delivering business. And so you have to be sort of the translation, the Rosetta Stone of understanding business strategy and business acumen and translating that into something that marketing can deliver to. Getting out of the way of these these feeling-based decisions that come up a lot in marketing, particularly in healthcare marketing, I think is really the way to get out of your own way and be successful. And then I think the other thing to not fall victim to is the shiny object syndrome that I mentioned earlier, because a lot of health systems get burned by these big investments in, you know, sort of the one-stop shop solution for your issues. If you do that first and don't understand what you're chasing, then you're going to be doomed to fail and it'll be a very expensive lesson and you're going to lose trust pretty quickly. So I think it's it's sort of the other end of the spectrum. Start small and get incremental wins and prove value and gain trust and treat it like it's it's a consulting engagement. I mean, all of these stakeholders in your organization, they have good intent and they have a goal that they need to achieve. Find that common thread that makes your goals mutually agreeable and then everybody wins. It's, it makes it a lot easier to have difficult discussions, and it makes it a lot easier to be successful. Chris, you make it sound like it's within our reach. And I really hope that uh, a lot of people are inspired and and do follow those words of advice, because those are so good pieces of information or pieces of advice that you can give to people. So thank you. If people listening in, they, they I'm sure they want to reach out to you and get to know a little bit about you. What's uh, the best way for them for, to find you online? So I'm a LinkedIn junkie. So um, if you go to just look up Chris Pace AZ on LinkedIn, you'll find me pretty easily. I, I claimed that a long time ago when LinkedIn was just a, uh, a toddler. And that's been my my personal brand footprint across all social media. So if you want to find me on Twitter, uh, that's the same handle there. I try to focus on content around this career ladder because you know there's there's no script to it there's no there's no one there to hold your hand and some of the most meaningful conversations i have is someone that's 10 to 15 years my junior that is just looking for advice like where do i go how do i get started you know i also have some content around imposter syndrome which i suffered from tremendously especially when i flipped over to marketing i i'm like Someone's going to call me out because I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) No one actually said that out loud to me. And maybe people thought it. I don't know. After years of therapy and uh, having my own mea culpa, I was like, you know what? Maybe I do know this stuff. And maybe I can help others that feel like they're a little bit trapped in their own brain and, and can't really push themselves forward. Take advantage of every opportunity that's in front of you. And it sounds con- you know, a little trite, but positivity goes a long way. And I think um, helping others and being supportive really can pay dividends long term. You just have to know who you are and what your strengths are and just leverage the hell out of them. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate all the great insight that you've given. It's, it's, it's great to finally have you on the show. Well, thank you so much. Can't wait to come back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Special thanks to Chris Pace from uh, Banner Health. Certainly appreciate him coming on the show and sharing some uh, very technical and very uh, well thought out insights and knowledge. So uh, certainly appreciate them and uh, him coming on the show. So we got a couple of things before we wrap up the show. Certainly, again, appreciate everyone's thoughts, uh, support uh, as we've been through the last few months. The show has continued to uh, gain listeners, and I uh, just really appreciate everything that y'all have shared, and we get, continue to get tweets and messages on LinkedIn and things like that. And so if there's anything you would like to see us cover, talk about, somebody to interview, et cetera, let us know. And then we do have conferences coming up, right? They're just not in person. They're not. They're all virtual. I know we've been saying go out to the TPS report, which is our weekly email. You can go out to touchpoint.health to sign up for that, where you can get the latest in all the virtual conferences. But the one that's coming up in August, August 18th through the 20th, is our Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Virtual Summit. And that's the one that we've attended a number of times, Read, but uh, this year it's going to be virtual. The reason why I wanted to point it out is that on the very last day, which is August 20th, that day, I will be the MC for the whole day. Not only will I be presenting that day with Brian Gresh from Loyal, but I'm going to be emceeing the entire day from start to finish. So as the MC, my job is to make sure that as you're attending this virtual conference, that everything is you know keeping t- tip-top shape, and I'm going to actually be doing a deep dive with Amber Mack, who is the keynote speaker. She and I are going to have a fireside chat throughout uh, that. I'm really excited. I, I got to meet her the other day. She's really awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, to that day. So definitely check it out. We have links in our show notes, and we also have links to it in our, our weekly email. So make sure you, you click on that. And every other conference that we know of right now is virtual. Yeah, it is. And we've got, uh, again, links to, like you said, this, the one you're talking about, but also the Healthcare Internet Conference there in the in the weekly email. So be sure to check that out. What about recommendations? What do you have today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that while you're working at home and you're getting a little bit hungry, you might want to reach out for a snack. I want to make sure that we're out there trying to grab a nice, healthy snack, something my wife and I have turned to quite often those last couple of months, which we feel is healthy, peanut butter filled pretzels. Have you ever had peanut butter filled pretzels, Reed? I have. They're pretty tasty. They really are tasty. I'm going to get very specific too. I'm going to pick out a brand name. Trader Joe's peanut butter filled pretzels are really good. You can get a salted kind or you can get the unsalted kind, which are both very good if you're considering your salt intake. But I'm going to even one up it even further, Reed. The ones to get, the ones you need to get are the milk chocolate dipped peanut butter pretzels. Oh, man. Get a bag of those and throw them in your freezer because you want them ice cold. And then whenever you get a hankering for some kind of afternoon snack that's somewhat healthy but also somewhat a little decadent, just pull a couple of those little pretzel nuggets out of the freezer and just enjoy them. That's my recommendation today. Very nice. Now you want some. I do. Yeah, it does sound pretty good, actually. Maybe put some jelly in there. It could be a goober-filled. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm going to recommend something also that I found via quarantine, I guess, uh, which is a movie. And so my youngest had kind of gotten into Scooby-Doo, kind of the reruns, like on Netflix, right? You know, the animated deal, whatever. Well, there's a movie called Scoob that's pretty new. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it's pretty new. And it's obviously about Scooby-Doo and super well done. Really, really well done. It's a good movie. Much like the Pixar films and Disney and all that kind of stuff, it's it's uh, it's cool. It's really well done, but it starts out with him as a is is uh, Scooby and Shaggy as is a puppy and, and a kid, right? The reason I'm recommending this is because they've done well through the years of making these fun for adults to also watch. Like there'll be some call out to something that only like adults will get, and in this one, like towards the beginning. Shaggy is walking around. Of course, he doesn't have any friends, you know, because Scooby's his best friend, but they haven't met yet, right? I'm trying to spoil this, but he he's walking down like a boardwalk and he's listening to a podcast. And so this is why I'm recommending this. And it's literally Ira Glass. And so he puts it in and Ira Glass is like, hello, I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Friends. Who needs them? <laughs> you know, you do. Anyway, it's just, it's the greatest and like no one else would find it funny, 
like in my entire household. But it's just so on point if you've listened to This American Life and other things that Ira Glass has done. But anyway, so my, my recommendation, uh, just so you can hear that quote, but also it, it is a good movie. It's called Scoop. And I think it's on HBO Max or something like that. But anyway, you can probably find it find it somewhere online. Nice. So, Scoop. I'll have to check it out. At least watch the first few minutes so you can hear the Ira Glass piece. It's pretty great. I didn't even realize that Scooby-Doo is actually on Netflix. That kind of excites me, too. It's pretty good. I mean, it's not the one from like when I was a kid, but it's not like current. It must have made some more in the 90s or early 2000s or something, I guess. I'm not really sure, but I don't know when it's from, but it's, it's good. My favorite Scooby-Doo is when they met the Harlem Globetrotters. That's right. That was good. Harlem Globetrotters used to make a lot of rounds. They were on Gilligan's Island at one point. They need to come back. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling a friend. Hopefully you'll tune back in next week. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.